So where we have been, just to, to kind of keep track, because we're studying these passages and these verses, but remember this is one big letter that Paul has written to Colossae. He started off commending the church for their faith in Christ and their love for one another. And he told them that the reason they have faith in Jesus and that they love one another is because of the hope that is in heaven that is stored up for them. And then he shared with them his own prayers of intercession, how he pleads with Christ on their behalf that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. And he gives us our own model for how we can intercede for one another. And then he taught them that they have been delivered. They have been delivered from a, a domain of darkness, but not just delivered, not just set free, but then transferred and moved into an entirely different domain and kingdom, the kingdom of His Son. And then, last week, He teaches us who His Son is, who Jesus is, the image of God, the firstborn, a title of special privilege and honor, the firstborn over creation. The Father chose that all things would be created by Him and for Him, and in Him all things would hold together. The head of the body, the church, it's not the pastor that's the head of the church, it is Jesus who is the head of the church, in whom all the fullness of God dwells. And then Paul teaches that the means by which God has done this work of deliverance from the domain of darkness and transfer to the kingdom of His Son, the means by which He has done that work is Jesus. That through Jesus, He has planned to reconcile to Himself all things. And He did that making peace by the suffering and the death of Christ on the cross. And now, we get to verse 21 through 23. Three verses for us, but actually one long sentence in the Greek, in the original language. And he is going to take and turn back this idea of deliverance and transfer of redemption by Christ, and he's going to point back to the Colossians and say, this is what's happened for you. You who are in Christ, who have faith in Jesus and love for one another, this is what has happened for you. I want to commend you this morning to personalize this text to yourself. To go further than just personalizing it for the church of Agape, although it does apply to us, but I want you to personalize this text for yourself if you believe yourself to be in Jesus. Paul gives this message to the Christian. Yes, it is a message to Colossae, but he is speaking to these individual Christians and He is speaking to them a message directly to their heart. That's what Tamara has read for us. If you're a note taker, pull out one of the worship guides. And we're going to walk through this together if you want to do the fill in the blanks, if that helps you. Here's Paul's message to the Christian. There's three parts to it. Here's the first part. You were evil from your heart doomed to wrath. That's the beginning of his message to the Christian. I want to say, before I go any further, that very sentence, that phrase, has so 
much trouble in our culture getting any traction. And it is possible that even as believers, we get infiltrated with that idea. Paul is saying, you, Christian, you were evil in your heart, and you were doomed to wrath. Look at verse 21. And you, I want you to personalize this. Underline you, circle it. You who once, at one time, were alienated and hostile in mind, were doing evil deeds. That is that is what Paul says to the Christians. He doesn't give any, any type of objection or any type of exception to that rule. He is saying that blanket statement, you who are believers, you were once alienated, you were once hostile in mind, and you were doing evil deeds. So I have put that you were evil from your heart and you were doomed to wrath. So let's look at some of these words. That was who you were. Alienated. It's a word that means stranger. Who were you alienated from? God. You were a stranger to God. Not that He didn't know your name, but in relationship, you were a stranger to Him. Foreign to Him. Why? Isaiah 59.2 says, because of your sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, your sin has made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. Talking about His face of favor and blessing. That's who we were in Christ. Excuse me, that's who we were before Christ. Alienated and hostile in mind. What does that mean? That word mind there certainly means how we think, but it also, in the Greek, it can mean your very heart. So it's not just our mind, but also our heart. It's the disposition of our life. What he is saying is that before Christ, we were alienated from God and the disposition of our life, our soul, our mind, our heart, was that we were hostile to God, His adversary, His enemy. Romans 8-7 explains this a little bit more. talks about hostility to God and it says the mind that is set on flesh the life that is in that domain of darkness is hostile to God for or because it does not submit to God's law. It does not submit to God's law. And as a matter of fact, it cannot submit to God's law. So what does it mean to be hostile to Him? Simply, in summary, you do not want to do what He says. You don't want to bend yourself to His Word. When you find His Word offensive against what you think is fair or right or good, you want to either ignore it, walk away from it, curse at it, at Him, or you want to change it and mold God in your image to make Him fit what is less offensive to you. That is a mind, that is a heart, hostile to God. And what does this lead to? You who once were alienated and hostile in mind were doing evil deeds. The evil deeds are coming from a life alienated from God and hostile to Him. 
And, and, and this is where I'll take a moment to point out the futility of religion that focuses on trying to get people to change their behavior and conform to rules. Evil behavior comes from an evil heart. And unless the heart is changed, the best you can do is get someone to temporarily modify their behavior, and it will not last. So for us as believers to point at evil deeds and say, well, simply stop doing that, is missing the point that it is the alienation from God and the hostility in our hearts toward Him that is causing evil deeds. And so I put, you were evil from your heart and doomed to wrath because evil deeds deserve wrath. And Ephesians 2.3 says that in that domain of darkness before Christ, by our very nature, we were children of wrath. Children who would receive an inheritance of the wrath of God. I want you to remember for a moment, keeping this picture in mind, remember that prayer of intercession that Paul made for the church that I laid before you and said, this is how we should pray for one another. Here, we're being told, you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. What did Paul pray for the church? Verse 9 and 10. I pray for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you see it's the, it's the same thing in reverse. Here we're told the problem is you were alienated from God and hostile in mind so you were doing evil deeds. What is the prayer for the Christian? God, fill me with knowledge of your will so I'm not alienated from you. So that I'm not hostile toward you, but I am filled with understanding of who you are and what you are. Your character and your ways. And give me wisdom, which is an application of knowledge. Let me live wisely so that my life pleases you. That's what we want. Before Christ, it's impossible alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But with Christ, we are able to be filled with the knowledge of God, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we can please Him. That's why it's so important to pray that for one another. Now, I want to point out something that I think is valid for us about everything that I just said. You were evil in your heart, doomed to wrath. You were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. My guess is there are only a handful of people in this room that think of themselves that way. There are a few people in this room, in this church, who will hear this, who were saved at a point in their life after a long period of running from God and away from God, doing evil deeds, hostile to Him. And you can look at your life and you can say, absolutely, that was me. I was a stranger to God. I did not know Him. I did not want to know Him. And I was living a life of evil because of that. My guess is the majority of us don't have that experience. We have grown up in a Christian home. 
We have been taught Christian morals. And when we think about our lives, perhaps we were saved at a very young age. We don't remember a time that we didn't believe in God or know God or think about Jesus. So we would look at this and say, that might be some people, not me. I don't have this experience. And here's the problem with believing what we feel about ourselves and not what the Word says about us. The problem with that is that if you don't understand the nature of your life before Christ saved you, whether you were five years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old, if you don't understand who you were before Christ intervened, then your gratitude for Jesus and your affection for Him is probably going to be low. You're going to be thankful for heaven. You're going to be thankful that you don't have to go to hell and that one day you will enter into the presence of God. But are you really going to look at Christ and say, thank you for my redemption? Because I was a stranger to God and I was hostile to Him. And I was doomed to wrath before you came into my life. That what we opened up with this morning, Psalm 71, that we sing with joy for the redemption of our souls if we don't know who we were, if we don't believe what the Bible says about us before Christ, then our gratitude will not be what it should be. If you were saved when you were seven and you don't ever remember a time walking apart from Christ, praise God for His intervention in your life. But this still describes you. And had He not intervened, it is 100% sure you would have walked a path alienated from God, hostile to Him, and doomed to wrath. The other problem with not believing this is if we don't believe this about ourselves and what the Bible says, then we will see ourselves as superior to others. We will look at other people who are alienated and hostile and doing evil deeds, and our thought will be, I'm glad I'm not like them. They really need Jesus. God needs to do a big miracle in their life. Rather than see that if you take that person and you bring them next to you and you walk toward Christ, when you get to the cross, the ground in front of the cross is completely level. You and that person are exactly the same. Maybe by the grace of God, He spared you from years and years of evil deeds. But you and that person were both alienated. You were both hostile to God. You were both doomed to wrath. If you don't see that, then you won't approach people with humility. It's very interesting to me that Colossae, the whole point of Paul writing this letter is that they were being tempted to not hold on to the gospel. To let their emotions, their thoughts be moved from the true gospel. And I want to present to you, Agape, that's still a danger to us. 
It is possible that we move from the true gospel into a religious spirit that says, I'm basically good and others are not. Which is what the Pharisees did. But it is also that we would move from the gospel into a worldly spirit that says, everyone is good. And to say anything is evil, is evil. That's the world we live in. The world that says what is evil today is to look at people and say what they're doing is wrong in the sight of God. In the culture, to love people means love them as they are and whatever they're doing, whatever they want to do, validate that. That's not the gospel. We must see we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. And the world does the same. And the answer for us and the answer for them is Jesus. Which leads us to the next thing that Paul wants the church to know. You were evil from your heart. You were doomed to wrath. Jesus has secured for you a new nature which is now applied to you in faith. Jesus has secured for you a brand new nature which is now applied to you by faith. Look at verse 22. We're going to look at verse 22a, the first part of the verse. He, and that He there is God, He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh, talking about Jesus. So we go back to, remember verses 12 and 13, earlier in the letter? We give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So that work has been planned by the Father. So when we get to verse 22, I believe the He that is doing this reconciling work is God the Father. And He is doing it in His, Jesus' body of flesh. Because it is Jesus who came and who died for us. God has done this. That word reconciled literally means to transfer from one state to another, which is what Paul has already said, being moved from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh. This is what Jesus has done by His death, by His suffering, by His blood. And in that, you now have a brand new nature. So, remember I told you, you were alienated. By what? By your sin. Isaiah 59.2 Separated from God by your sin. Now what has happened to you? Colossians 2.14. We're going to get there, but I give you a preview. What has now happened to you? God has canceled the record of debt that stood against you with all of its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? Isaiah 59.2, you were separated from God by your sin. What did God do for you in Christ? He took that record of debt. Can you imagine for a moment 
a book that houses every evil deed you have ever done. Every thought, every intention of your heart written down. Can you imagine? You probably can't. The thickness of that book and one that it would be to you a horror to be opened and read. And what did God do? He took the record of debt against you and He canceled it. It's gone. How did He do that? He nailed it to a cross. Because on that cross, Jesus took your record of debt on Himself. That is how He reconciled you. Remember Romans 8, 7? The mind of the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. What has happened now? Ephesians 2.10 says we are now His workmanship created new in Christ Jesus for good works. He has completely recreated your life. That's why the Bible talks about you've got to be born again. Jesus has given you a new nature. The Bible says He has taken out your old heart of stone and created in you a clean heart and a brand new heart and put a new spirit within you. So now, not only are you not hostile to God, but you love God and you love His Word. And yes, you're going to have times where you're reading Scripture and you're going to come across something and it's going to be offensive to your flesh. But your soul is going to say, but it is good that I believe what God has said. And it is not God that I will mold to myself. It is myself I will mold to God. That's the mind, the heart of a believer. Because Christ has done that. You have not risen to some spiritual plane and place of superiority where you see your need for this. Christ has done it in you. He has canceled the record of debt against you and He has given you a new heart. And remember in Ephesians 2.3, by nature you were children of wrath. Now we have Romans 5.2. Through Jesus we have obtained access by faith into this grace and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through Jesus we have obtained access by faith into this grace and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We're no longer children of wrath, doomed to wrath, fearful of the future. We now have hope in the glory of God that we will experience that glory, that that very glory is in our life now and one day we will be surrounded by it and live in it and even ourselves, we will be glorified in Christ. No longer children of wrath. This is what Christ has done for us. This is what Christ has done for you. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. He has now done this for you. When did He do this? Did it on the cross. 2,000 years ago is when He secured this for you. When is it applied to your life? When you believe. 
That's what Romans 5.2 said. Through Christ we have obtained access by faith into this grace. It was secured for you 2,000 years ago when Christ suffered and died and was resurrected. It is applied to your life when you hear the gospel from your heart. You believe this and you confess Him as Lord. And it is applied to your life and you are transferred from that domain of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. So, you were evil from your heart, doomed to wrath. Jesus secured for you a new nature which is now applied to you by faith. And yes, you will now grow in that. You are not perfected when that happens. You will notice not being alienated from God, having access to Him, caring about what God says, but you will spend the rest of your life being changed and molded by the Spirit of God, being sanctified until one day you stand before Christ and you are perfected. There's one more part of this message to the Christian that Paul gives. You were evil, doomed to wrath. Jesus has now secured for you a new nature and is applied to you by faith. And all of this is conditional on your perseverance in Him. This is conditional on your perseverance in Him. So let's look at the verses again. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If, Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I want you to circle the if, and I want you to hear me. It's a very real if. If means if. If you continue in the faith. Continue means remain in. persevere in the faith. And then he describes what it looks like to continue in the faith. Being stable. It's a word that means grounded securely. Grounded in your faith. Securely founded on a, your feet on a rock. Steadfast. It means standing firm. Not being moved. So you're on this foundation, your feet are on this secure rock. And when winds come along, difficulties, doubts, trials, they may rattle you, but they don't move you away from this faith. Not in a permanent way. He describes it by not shifting from the hope of the gospel, not moving away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. If indeed you continue in this faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, then you will be presented before God, holy, blameless, and above reproach before Him. I think there are two dangers when we get to verse 23. 
One of them is to assume that that if is not a true if. And just to say, I don't really think this means if. It does. There's a sense in the Bible in which we're told we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We have been saved in our belief, in our faith. It's what's given us access to grace. We are still being saved. God's still doing this work of sanctification in our life. And then one day we will be saved with finality. We stand before Jesus and we see Him. So it would be inappropriate for us to look at that if and assume that it doesn't mean that. It does. You will be saved if you continue in the faith. And if you don't continue in the faith, you will not be saved. And that is not talking about falling into sin. It's not talking about having seasons of doubt and fears, but it's talking about you walking away from Jesus. From you saying, I no longer believe or follow Him. If you do that, you will be lost. That's a very real if. Here's the other danger. The other danger is to look at that if and allow it to introduce uncertainty into your faith. To where you get this mindset of, what if I wake up tomorrow and I'm no longer a Christian? I, now I'm anxious and I'm scared. What if, what if I'm really not going to stay in Christ? What if I'm going to move? I don't believe that is all what Paul is getting at here or what he wants from us by presenting to us this conditional statement. I have said to you many times before, I'm going to say again this morning, I believe that the overwhelming evidence and teaching of Scripture is that Jesus Christ will keep His sheep. And if you are truly saved, you will always be truly saved. It is not a requirement for you to believe that to be a member of this church. But it is required that you'll hear it from me whenever I preach it. Because I believe it with all of my heart. I believe it's what the Bible teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless, because God is faithful. Jude, verse 24 and 25, says, Now to Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God's glory with great joy. Which is the same presentation that is talked about here in Colossians. Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. And Romans 8.30 that teaches us, among other things, those that God has justified, He has glorified already. So if that record of debt has been canceled in your life and you have been justified and declared not guilty, then in God's plan and in eternity, you have already been glorified. And your life is moving to that moment where it is a reality for you. So, the first question then is this, what about people who leave the faith? What about people who are walking with Christ, part of the church, 
confessing Him. And one day, they walk away. I'm not talking again about falling into sin. I mean, they turn their back on Jesus and they never come back. To the end of their life, they refuse to submit to Him as Lord, even though at one time they said they did. What about them? Well, that was happening already in the first century. John wrote to the church about that in his first letter to them, 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2, the apostle, the pastor, John, writing to the church, comforting them, he says this, there have been people that have left your church. There have been people that you thought were in Christ that have turned out to be Antichrist. To have the spirit of the Antichrist. They have turned from Jesus. They have walked away. They no longer believe. And this is what John says, they went out from you because they were not of you. If they had been of you, they would have continued with you. What John says is this, they were never truly saved. Jesus in the parable of the soils, He says there will be people who will receive the gospel with joy until a time that persecution comes on behalf of the Word, where the Word starts costing them something, and they have to submit to it, and they refuse, and they turn away. And Jesus says, they will wither because there was never root in them. My conclusion from Scripture is Jesus keeps His sheep, and those who seemingly turn, were part of the church and turn from it and never return, were not really saved. But that still introduces one more question. Why did Paul give the warning? He's already told Colossae, I'm, I thank God for you every time I hear from you because of your faith in Jesus and your love for one another. He's convinced that these people in Colossae are saved. So why would he give them a warning if it's not possible for them to fall away? Why would God warn His people about something if He intends to keep them? So let me answer that by asking you a question. Who listens to God's Word? And what effect does God's Word have on those people? Is it not that God's people listen to His Word? And is it not true that that Word affects their life and causes them to obey? God gives warnings to keep us vigilant. He gives us warnings so that we will fight the fight of faith. He gives us warnings because it's a means of keeping us. That when you hear this, is it true? Absolutely. If you turn from Christ, there is no hope. But for the people of God, you hear that and you say, I will never turn from Christ. I will stay with Him. I will remain with Him. I will cling to Him because without Him I have no hope. 
that warning is effective for your soul. You see, here's what I think happens. Sometimes I think we treat perseverance and eternal security like this pill that God gives us that makes us immune to hell. That we come to belief in Jesus and He hands us this medicine and He says, okay, now take this and, and then the rest of your life you never have to worry about hell because you're now immune from it. So, you know, go live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do because you, you've taken the faith pill. That's not how salvation works. How I think perseverance works, how I think this keeping that Jesus does works is that He keeps us through both supernatural and natural means. Jesus is keeping you if you are in Him. He is keeping you by His Word. He is keeping you by promising you blessings and you see them and they are effective to your soul to cause you to stay with Him. He gives you His Word and warnings that if you turn from Him, you will be lost. And that causes you to say, I will never turn from you. Someone who is not in Christ, you can warn them with these passages a million times. They will not listen. They will not turn. But for the believer, Christ keeps you by His Word, which is why it's so important you read His Word. And you listen to His Word be preached. And you take it in because it is a means by which He is keeping you. He keeps you with the community of the saints. Part of how He keeps you is He gives you a church and He puts you in that church. And through that church, He encourages you. He exhorts you. He warns you. Which is why it's so important you put yourself in that community. He keeps you through blessings. He gives you the beauty of creation or of gifts of grace and you are thankful and you stay close to Him. And He keeps you through trials. That's what James tells us. Why do we face trials of various kinds? To test our faith. It doesn't mean that God is testing to see what's in us. It means proving, refining our faith. Sometimes God gives us trials because it keeps us close to Jesus. That thing, that weakness that we hate and that we desperately want to get rid of is a means by which Christ is keeping us to Himself. He warns us to keep us. Is it a real warning? Absolutely. Should you be fearful in your life that one day you're going to wake up and no longer be a Christian? It's not the intent. Christ will keep you. Believe that. And trust the means that He has given you to stay close to Him. And utilize those means. It, don't think of the Word and prayer and community as just optional add-ons to the Christian life. It's the means by which He is keeping you in the faith. So let's look at this life truth, this summary of this morning. You who were made new 
by Jesus and for Jesus are now being kept in Jesus. And I'll just pause there. I used the language we heard last week. For by Him all things have been created. All things that were created were created through Him and for Him. That includes you, the new creation. You are a new creature. You have been made new by Jesus. The goal of that is for the worship of Jesus. And now Jesus is keeping you. In Him all things hold together, including you in your salvation. One day, He will present you to God by the Father's plan, free from accusation, and clothed in His own holiness. One day, Jesus will present you to God And this is what God the Father has planned. And you will be presented free from accusation and you will be presented clothed in the holiness of Jesus. So go back. Let's look at the last part that we haven't seen. Verse 22b. Okay, who, in verse 22a, who reconciled you? God. How did He do it? Jesus. Now, why did He do it? In order to... Now, this is going to tell you why the reconciliation has taken place. Why has God reconciled you to Himself in Christ? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Before who? Before God. What is God's plan? What was the Father's plan? He reconciled you through Jesus so that one day Jesus would present you to God, blameless. Church, listen, I I can't preach this the way it should be, but please hear me and listen with faith. Picture what is going to happen for you. One day, if you continue in the faith, because you belong to Jesus, one day you're going to see Jesus face to face. You are going to be able to reach out and touch Him. You are going to hear His voice. And I don't know when or how it's going to work, but there is going to come a moment where He is going to look at you and He's going to say, come with me. And He is going to walk you into the presence of God His Father and He is going to present you by name to God. And there will not be an accusation of anything that you have ever done that will Stick in that moment. You will be presented holy and blameless before Him. And if you go back to what Jude, verse 24 and 25 said that we read just a moment ago, now to Jesus who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God's glory with great joy. Are you going to tremble before the Father? Yes, But there is also going to be that moment, in that moment, great joy. Where Jesus looks at you and calls you by name and says, Father, I want to present to you my brother, my sister. They are yours because they are mine. And they are holy and they are blameless. I have kept them by my word. I have kept them by the church. I have kept them by blessing. I have kept them by trial. 
And they are glorified now in your presence. If you do not move from this gospel, that moment is coming for you. So, what is my conclusion? In your notes, labor with all your heart to remain in Christ. Labor with all your heart to remain in Him. Is that statement incongruent with everything I've just preached? If Christ is preaching you, is it incongruent for me to say labor to remain with Him? And my answer is obviously no. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord does the work, the builders that He has assigned are laboring in vain. Are the builders still supposed to build? Yes. But it's only going to be successful if God has gone before them to build it. If He's the one that's doing the work through them. Is Christ keeping you? Yes. So what should you do? Keep Him. Remain in Him. Abide with Him. Stay with Him. Not because you're trusting in your staying and your labor, but because you're trusting in His keeping of you. His keeping of you is the foundation by which you labor to remain with Him. If I, if I try and labor with all of my heart to stay in His Word and prayer and the church and to cling to Christ, am I going to make it? Yes. Why? Because Christ is keeping you. So labor with all your heart to remain in Christ. There are going to be days where you're going to have doubts. There are going to be days where you're going to wonder. There are going to be days where you're going to be tempted to walk away from Jesus, to give in to sin. And it's going to feel like labor to remain with Him. Fight that fight with all your heart. Don't leave Jesus. If you do, there is no hope. Stay with Him. Stay in His Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in the church. Don't shift from the hope of the Gospel you have heard. I have pleaded with people in that way and I have watched them walk away. I stand before you and I tell you if it has not happened, there is coming a time you will doubt. You will be tempted to shift. And I pray you hear this in the Spirit. Don't leave Jesus. Remain with Him. And He will one day present you to God. And if this morning 
your realization is, I've never really believed. I don't know what it is, but I've never believed in the way that it's being described right now. Praise God that you see that. Cry out to Christ to be saved. And anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You can come talk to me. As a matter of fact, if you feel that way, before you leave here, talk to a leader. Come to me. Come to Kevin. Talk to us. Let us know that. But you don't have to come down here and get me to give you a prayer to pray. Cry out to Jesus to be saved in whatever words you have, and He will save you.